Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I love a little something sweet after dinner. Like it doesn't quite feel complete if I just eat my entree or main course and that's it. And since this is kind of a boozy podcast, we're going to end our meal with the digestif. Digestif is defined in Wikipedia as a digestive drink, alcoholic or not, which is usually taken at the end of a meal and which is supposed to help digestion and invigorate at the end of the long meal. I kind of like that definition. So in today's episode, we're finishing up the meal, so to speak, and talking digestive culture. Meet Amy Pesquet of Cognac Pesquet and Allison Park of Bryn Whiskey, which is a whiskey made in Cognac. They'll talk language, developing a spirits brand, and being a woman while doing all of these things in another country. Why don't you grab yourself a digestive while listening to this episode? Unless it's the daytime or you're driving, or just listen. Hello and welcome to Wine School Dropout. I'm so glad you're here. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And we're talking about Americans in France and drinking culture um, around that. So tell me where you're from and how did you get here? That's a good question. I'm from Asheboro, North Carolina. So Asheboro is a dry town. Because I know North Carolina is ABC because I went to university in Greensboro. Okay. Asheboro is like 30 minutes south of Greensboro. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a small world and yeah, North Carolina is a control state. Plus there are still a few counties that are completely dry. So now, uh, now that I've moved to France, Asheboro has become wet. Uh, Asheboro is the county seat. So you can now order wine and beer in restaurants and get it at Walmart. But that was not the case when I was growing up there. So when I met a cognac distiller in Argentina, I was just like, yeah, I want to go with you. I'm not going back home. <laughs> so he was making wine in Chile and I was studying abroad in, in Buenos Aires. And we met at a wine tasting in Mendoza, Argentina. So tasting some Argentine Malbec. And yeah, it, was the, it wasn't really great wine but he was a really nice guy. So he wanted to take me wine tasting elsewhere. He actually has a degree in enology and viticulture. So he was there making wine in Chile and he wanted to taste Argentine wine too. So we went and tasted more wine. And then we lived together in New Zealand where he was also making wine. And then he came home here to take over the family business 
which is making cognac. So you do have to make wine to make cognac. So you met a man and that's what happened. Exactly what happened. (laughs) You tried to leave that part out of the story, but I read between the lines and I got it. Now, coming from a dry county city such as Asheboro and then moving into a very, very wet drinking culture that is France, what is something that you wish you knew before you got here? Well, I think Jean taught me that before I came here. Um, So the first time we ate out together, I was very embarrassed because I was only 20. So, you know, drinking age in America is 21, of course. Of course, I'd had like Franzia and things like that, but only just to get drunk. So you're just like, oh, there's more to wine than that. Okay. And I felt like very embarrassed with him, you know, ordering wine and they uncork it and then they serve it and you're like tasting, is this good wine? Is this bad wine? And you're just like, um, I'm going to be so bad at this. And you know what he told me? He's like, drink what you like, Amy. Don't worry about what other people think. And I've always kept that. And I think that's incredibly important for whatever you're drinking. Remember, you can drink it the way you want to. There is no rule for this is good, this is bad. Um, If you like it, that's a great thing. So find what you like and drink it. So what wine do you like? What wine do I like? So here um, we are organic producers and we do try to support other organic vintners. And I do like, we have the, um, you know, Vigneron Indépendant label. So that means that's um, a vintner who grows on his own property, vinifies on his property, bottles on his property. Everything comes from the same place. So I think it's really a mark of terroir. And so I always look for that when um, I'm buying a bottle of wine here in France. That's pretty much my go-to label. We have some friends who make wine, so we buy from them, obviously, uh, because we like what they make. You do see this little man like carrying a barrel on his back, and that is the Vigneron Indépendant label. And I think that is a mark of quality because it means somebody is taking care of the quality from A to Z. They're growing the vines, they're vinifying they are putting in the barrel and then they're bottling and they're selling their own product. So I think that's really important. You mentioned cognac distillation and that is what you do. And cognac is, is, tell me about cognac in general and then also tell me about yours. So cognac is a double distilled wine. We only use white wine to make cognac. It's five grape varieties, Uni Blanc, Feuille Blanche, Colombard, for, you know, six grape varieties, Folignon, Semillon, um, and one other one. So five grape varietals, six with Folignon, and they're all very high in acidity and low in alcohol. It's not what you would consider to be a good table wine, um, because like I said, a low in alcohol, what a good wine for making cognac is about eight to 9% alcohol and incredibly acidic. We don't use any preservatives in the wine because those kind of things sulfites distillation is concentration so we would be concentrating sulfites that would be not such a good idea so the only thing that's conserving the wine until distillation is the acidity and the cold weather so uh, acidity is also going to help with the distillation it's going to give us the finesse and elegance in our distilled cognacs So every year we harvest our white wines. We're looking for not concentrated white wines because the distillation is going to be the concentration. So if you took like a really concentrated Chardonnay, for example, it would make a brandy 
that's overly heavy because it's already been concentrated. You've already done the concentration to make the wine. So essentially we want really light, fresh white wines to get an incredibly light, elegant cognac. Here we're using organic agriculture. We have been using those techniques since 1993. And that means we're not using any chemically synthesized uh, products in the vines. So um, we use uh, manual labor to take away the herb, the grass competition. Um, our fertilizers are like cow manure compost and compost from the pressings. And uh, we also use green fertilizer, so cover crops, and those are going to um, be cut down in the spring. So it's all um, natural fertilizer and fertilizer that comes from here. It's agriculture, how it's been done for hundreds, if not thousands of years. So we still use buoy builders, so it's copper and sulfur are our two ingredients to combat um, pests. So uh, like mildew is the biggest problem in the cognac region because we're on the ocean and it's a very humid climate. So mildew develops easily. So copper is really our biggest weapon. We use small doses of it. So, I mean, copper is a naturally occurring substance, but isn't, uh, you know, has an impact on the environment as well. So we're really trying to make terroir cognac, uh, how cognac, should taste compared to hundreds of years because we've been making cognac for at least 600 years. So ours is special because we're organic, but also because we take care of the entire process. So from the vine to the bottle, which is not the case for a lot of people. There are four big houses of cognac. I'm sure you all know them. I don't need to say their names, mm -hmm. uh, but they yeah. sell about 90% of all cognac, all of the volume. People like us, who are small producers sell about 0.5% of all the volume of cognac sold. So if you're able to find a small producer who's um, doing like we are, please try them because uh, it's really uh, something that's incredibly rare and um, pretty good stuff. So usually you get really good value for more money when you find a small brand like Pasquier because you're not paying for the brand and you're not paying for all the marketing budget behind it. With so much of the big four cognacs, 90%, with that being what's sold, is drinking cognac, is that a French thing or is it more of an American thing? Okay, so it's definitely more of an American thing. The U.S. has been the biggest cognac market for years now. And that's, I think, one of the big four really invested after the Second World War and made cognac a huge thing in the US from like GIs going home. And then, I don't know, that's, everyone's heard the rap songs with cognac names in them. So since mm -hmm. then it's really taken off, there are several rappers who have their own brands of cognac. So it's really taken off in America. I think maybe 55% or 60% of all cognac sold is actually sold in America. But France has become the sixth market for cognac, which is not ridiculous. Um, and France is really growing. So I think people in France are realizing that they have really good locally grown spirits. France is actually a really big whiskey drinking country, but I'm talking about single malt, so Scottish whiskey. And they're realizing that they have actually really good spirits here. So why not try some cognac, some Armagnac, uh, some Calvados? How do you 
how do you take cognac? Like if someone wanted to try yours for the first time, how would you suggest they take it? So I think something that's good in the States is that people are willing to mix cognac. I think young cognac is truly meant to be mixed. And cognac was the original mixing drink before prohibition. So a lot of the first cocktails were made with cognac, but then prohibition happened. And so people were looking to rye. So they got Canadian rye much easier than they can get imported cognac. And then they switched that up. So uh, do mix your young cognac with what you like. Here in the region, we like to mix cognac with tonic. So like a Schweppes or a fever tree tonic. And that's really good. Um, you can also mix it with ginger ale or ginger beer and a slice of lime. That's super good as well. Cognac goes in a lot of drinks that you put rum in. So just give cognac a try in mixed drinks. It's how it's been consumed for a long time, but people seem to have forgotten that. Here in France, it does have that reputation of being a digestive. So drinking it alone after a meal, like not necessarily alone with friends, but drinking it straight neat after a meal. So you can try with ice. You can also try young cognac frozen. So you put it in the freezer for at least four hours and it's going to take away a lot of the alcoholic burn and just leave you with the fruitiness. Um, and it's going to make the texture a lot like smoother and even thick, uh, which is a kind of cool tasting experience. We like to do that with our youngest cognac and oysters. So it's a really good play off the two um, different flavor profiles. And it's good to have the two cold things together. So how would I suggest that someone who's totally new to cognac try it? Uh, first in a mixed drink, but then you can also, when you're tasting, I do recommend, so it's not like wine when you have this like a retro-olfection. Yes, walk us through. So the first thing you're going to look at is the color. And you can say this is really bright young cognac. So this is an organic four. We don't use coloring. Um, here in the region, we have the right to use three different kinds of additives. We don't use any of them. They are uh, liquid boise which is kind of like an enological product that is waste, not want none, because you, you use like leftover cooperage uh, chips and distill those and you get the extract of the wood and you add it to the clear cognac because like all other spirits, it starts clear. That one's okay because it's an ancestral method and it's been used here in the region for hundreds of years. Uh, there is also caramel. I don't think it's necessary. It's only really to correct the color compared to previous years. You can tell there's none. So if you get a really dark cognac, you can suspect either boise or caramel or both. So this is unchill filtered cognac. Uh, we don't chill filter, so that means we don't need to add sugar to make it round again. So there are all these um, fatty acids like fatty esters in the cognac that are going to make it round, coat, their, coat your mouth and not let it burn you. So if you get a non-chill filtered cognac, it's not going to burn as much as something that someone's chill filtered to make sure that there are no floaty things in your glass. Mm -hmm. So you're going to look at the color. You're going to see how beautiful it is. It might be dark. It might be light. That might give you an idea of what you're going to taste. You're going to put it to your nose and breathe in. And the nose is about 80% of your tasting. And so once you've smelled, once you've gotten an idea in your brain of what you're going to be tasting, put a little saliva on your mouth for the first sip because it is 40% or above alcohol. So we commercialize cognac from 40%. Put a little saliva on your mouth 
keep it in there for a little bit and taste all the flavors. And what's also pretty incredible about cognac tasting is that you're going to have this aftertaste that remains for quite a period of time. So it's pretty amazing to be still tasting the same beautiful cognac after quite a while. Wow. Thank you for leading us through that uh, tasting. We can't wait to get our hands on some. So tell us where we can find you um, online if we're in France, where we can buy it or give us the deets. Here in France, um, we have several internet vendors like La Cognatec, Cognac Expert, and we're also opening our own web shop uh, very shortly. We are distributed in the U.S., but only in certain states, like no control states, for example. Unfortunately, my family in North Carolina cannot get my cognac, uh, but my family in Texas can, for example. So, yeah, here in France, you can also find us at your local caviste, uh, usually independent uh, caviste have us. Um, we work with La Maison Leda, who is an Armagnac producer, and they have their own distribution system for French uh, brown spirits. So they sell rum, Calvados, Armagnac, Cognac, and some wines from the Bordeaux region. So uh, wherever you find Armagnac Lobat, you can probably find us. Okay. And your website and social media handles. Yeah. So our website is www.cognac.com. And then on Facebook, Instagram, I don't even know if I do Twitter anymore, but it's at Cognac Pesquet. So no hyphen, no nothing, Cognac Pesquet. Yeah. Come see us for real. Cause I mean, it's Absolutely. one to look, but it's quite another to taste it. Yeah. I'm way too jealous of looking at it. So I will be <laughs> tasting soon. Thank you. secret that France loves cheese and wine, so not surprising that an entire culture revolves around the consumption of these two great gifts to the culinary world. Come and discover one of the best parts of French culture with the cheese and wine class or a wine tasting class. Join my classes. They're a great opportunity to experience the French terroir. During these two-hour classes, you'll sample some of the finest cheeses and finest wines, Learn the techniques and language of cheese tasting and wine tasting, and also the concept of terroir. You'll spend a great evening in a relaxed atmosphere with beautiful surroundings in the heart of Montmartre with me at Cooking with Class Cooking School and get a great head start to fully understand and appreciate our love for French cheese and wine and help you approach them with greater confidence. Visit cookingwithclass.com, C-O-O-K-N, W-I-T-H-C-L-A-S-S and search Paris Classes for more information or to book your date. As you all know, this season has been different. We have talked... um, Tanisha in Paris, someone who actually lives here and has lived here for a while. And I also wanted to talk to my friends that are in Paris or in France and related to France to give you a bit more of the culture and things of France. 
So today we have Allison Park. Allison, well, they know your name, but tell us what your relationship is with France. Oh, thanks. It's, I mean, it's a complicated one. <laughs> I don't know a love affair with France that isn't complicated. Correct. Yeah. My first trip there, I was in high school in the United States and I went to Paris and I fell in love. I memorized the entire map of the city and I thought one day I will be here. And I didn't really know in what context, but fast forward, I was a ballerina and I was given the opportunity to dance professional ballet in Paris. And for some bizarre reason, I turned that down and it was one of the biggest regrets of my life. And then when I retired from dance, I fell in love with whiskey. I had all these ideas on whiskey and I thought people should be making single malt whiskeys focused on terroir, right? Being using local and indigenous ingredients to effectively show a sense of place in the smell and taste. So I traveled all around. I went to Japan. I went to India. I went to all these different places. And then it was like, I'm an idiot. Just go to the place that's in your heart. Go to France, right? This is, this is the culture in which terroir originated. There is a huge whiskey consumption culture in France. The way that organic is produced in Europe is so different than it is in, in the United States. And anyhow, so long story, even longer, <laughs> I ended up in, in, in the cognac region, working with a third generation cognac maker to make a single malt that to me was really reflective of that region of France. And of course, because I absolutely obsessed with Paris as a New Yorker, I would always make sure I got the direct flight from New York to Paris. So thus I had to spend a few days in Paris on the front and back end of my trips to Cognac. It only makes sense. I mean, I think so. <laughs> so from New York to Paris to Cognac to make whiskey, that sounds slightly complicated. It is very complicated. <laughs> When you first had the idea, okay, I want to do a whiskey. Oh, dang, I should do it in France. What was, what's the first thing you do after that? You get a lot of rejection, right? You reach out to people and say, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm thinking. Do you have the capability to produce something like this? Do you have any interest? What are you making right now? And then some of them, one of them invited me to visit the distillery. So I came over to France at that point in time, visited. They just didn't have the capacity to do the volume that I projected I might need. We're still friends today, but um, yeah. So it's like, it's getting a lot of rejection in a variety of ways. Either go back to New York, little girl, you don't know what you're talking about. It's a stupid thing. <laughs> okay. Right, like that. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was, I think it was extra complicated because... I speak enough French to order dinner and book train tickets and hotel rooms and now talk about whiskey and buy clothing. But otherwise, I don't have a good, strong grasp of the language. If you want to talk politics or art or, you know, anything in business is, is about kind of meeting the people first. And it's very hard for me to communicate who I am as a person in French and also hear who someone else is. So my dealings with the French were pretty much in franglais and pretty much just direct business. Is this possible? Yes, we know, you know, <laughs> is, you know, and if, if we, in what capacity? So it was a lot of rejection until I found someone who went, yeah, okay, Alison, I think, uh, think that's uh, not a pas mal idea, you know, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned the 
language and how it doesn't allow you to necessarily be your best self and also the other person you're talking with. And that is something that is definitely a barrier here. In Paris, not quite as much because a lot more people speak English now. But if you're down in the Cognac region, which I'm assuming is more countryside, people aren't speaking English and they feel uncomfortable speaking with someone that speaks English because you have a better handle on the language. So they just won't speak. Did you find that to be a very big roadblock? It clearly wasn't a deterrent, but did you find that to be kind of a roadblock or like a stumbling block for you? I mean, if, if I ever get a, a CAT scan, the language section of my brain must be très, très petit because I have been trying to study and learn French for years and I can't get it into my head. Um, so it, it's not, my grasp of, of the French language is not at all for a lack of trying, but I think it was a challenge to continuously do business over the almost 15 years that I've done business there even if just for a building personal relationship perspective. And then on the personal side, because I spend considerable time in France every year, to be in Cognac the first seven years, I didn't make a single friend. And I have a community there now. And they will often say, and say behind my back to other people who then tell me, <laughs> you know, it's inconceivable that Allison was here for so long. She's so friendly. Like, how is it possible that she didn't make a friend? I don't believe that story. And I'm like, well, first of all, you can totally believe it because there's only like 10 people who live in Cognac. <laughs> you can just ask each other if you knew me before. You didn't. But to your point, I would sit at a restaurant by myself and I would communicate in my clearly... It was like, I would def, I would always try in French. I would always speak in French, but you know, I'm sure my sentence structure was not correct. Like it was apparent that I'm not French when I spoke, even though my accent may sound good. So it's not like people at a, like a table next to me would lean over and say, Hey, where are you from? Like no one struck up conversation with me. And I was there for so much time. So often always solo dining, always out, always taking walks. Like it was only the children who would say bonjour to me. And that was it. Like no adult ever reached over and was like, hi, where are you from? Like, what are you doing here? So curious. We don't have many Americans come to Cognac, but never happened. <laughs> was that a big like culture shock or a problem for you realizing that from, you know, year to year coming over and just like, all right, well, I know I'm dying by myself these next seven days. Here we go. Nobody, nothing, nothing to say. All right. fine. <laughs> I would say I spent a considerable amount of money in the stores to get my interpersonal connection fix, right? People would talk to me because I was shopping and that helped satisfy my loneliness. I was definitely lonely. And I, when I'm not in France, I live in New York City and I speak the native language there. And so my, day-to-day -day life is very extrovert fed, right? It's very intense. It's very loud. It's very noisy. So I tried to just take cognac as my place of meditation and almost like, um, like a silent retreat, you know, maybe instead of feeling lonely and going into those feelings, maybe instead look at it as such a gift that I don't have to talk, that I have silence that I can really think. And I think a lot of my personal growth. I started my company in my mid twenties and now I'm turning 
40 this year. So a lot of the growth of who I am as a person, I can point back to certain walks, runs, just sitting solo by myself for hours in cognac. And I'm really grateful for that place for that development. That's so interesting you say that about the time spent alone developing that kind of thing, because I'll just throw my little two centimes in there. I can say that that's kind of the same thing that I experienced too, first coming here and not knowing anyone, not knowing the culture, um, being completely shocked by how different it is trying to live here versus when I would come as a tourist and visit. But that time alone of thinking, walking around, I mean, I don't miss it because we just had confinement. So I was alone enough. We're good. <laughs> Being able to plan and think about things and kind of see the city in a different way. Now that I look back on it, I appreciate it. I didn't like it when I was going through it. So I was like, this is terrible. I should just go back. I mean, I didn't. But <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of not because that's that that is that is something that could kick a lot of people out. You know, it does kick a lot of people out. I uh, regularly think about friends that I've had here who go back to the States who have moved back to the States because they're like, oh, I don't like it. I don't make enough money. I don't have any friends. It's too hard. You have to go through so much. And they're like, um, I'm out. I'm leaving. Even though some people seem to have it easy, like a certain Emily uh, <laughs> seemed to be a little bit easier for her in making friends and meeting cute neighbors and things like that. Uh, we're talking Emily in Paris if y'all didn't get the reference yet. Did you watch the show, Allison? I have watched the show and I, I have to say, I love the show. I indulge in the show. Yeah. Okay. Do you have like a favorite episode or a favorite point or something that uh, she makes during the episode? Let's put it out there. I think a lot of people, and I don't know, I'm, I'm actually, I would be curious to hear from French people, if French people watch the show, then what their opinion is of it. I can say in New York, at least, the friends I know who have watched it, they roll their eyes and they're like, oh my gosh, there's just so many stereotypes. And first of all, I'm thinking, you haven't had a business in France. Like, I, <laughs> I, I love this show. I work there. I get a lot of these references. And of course, they're going to be blown up and over-dramatized because it's a fake TV show. It's not even trying to pitch itself as a reality TV show, which we already know is not even real, right? It's already scripted. So anyhow, I just, I like to put that context out there. I have literally walked around Paris and with a native fully French speaker, dear friend, I like come out of a store, right? Clearly this is where I try and make friends is in retail. And I'm like, oh, she was so nice. And my friend just looked at me and she goes, Alison, you don't have enough French to know when they're being mean to you. Oh, right. That hit really hard. So when I watch Emily in Paris, like the constant dings that she gets, I'm like, and like the ignorance to it, right? Even though I think of myself as a thoughtful person and a worldly person and someone who is an extrovert and can read other people pretty well and be empathetic and read body language, I think I'm really ignorant the amount of times that I've been dinged by, you know, things that are just typique French, right? Um, but so yeah, so I think that's okay. I feel like, because that, that same thing has happened to me where, you know, someone is talking about me, but I don't know what they're saying. It rolls off your back. Someone can offend you or, you know, say mean things. But if you don't understand it, it's not offensive and you, you can live another day. It doesn't bother you. So you keep moving on. But if you understood everything mean or shady that someone said to you or about you, man, that would be devastating. And I probably would have 
put myself in a suitcase and gone back. And you might not have kept going in cognac and, you know, major whiskey. We didn't need to know that. We did not need to know those things. Things not said to me or said in a way that I can understand it, it's not said. So I can't worry about it. I mean, this is why you've become one of my, my life or friends and parents. <laughs> I always need your Ria. I've had like French people go, it's okay, it's okay, uh, it's okay for you, Alison, it's okay for you, ici, it's okay for you here in, uh, in France. And I'm like, oh yeah. And they're like, people are uh, okay, okay to you. And I'm like, I don't know if they're not. And I am such an optimistic person that I make every interaction in my head even as a really positive one. So even if you're saying something mean to me that I can't comprehend, I'm making you sound like you are farting sunshines and rainbows. And I have everything wanted to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm having a great time because to me, you all are like just the nicest people I've ever met. <laughs> Do you have a favorite episode or a favorite yeah. like point or something? I think for me, it would be the last episode of season two right now, the, the French revolution episode. I think it's hard to say it without kind of projecting yourself into it, right? But it was for me watching it when I think Emily felt seen by and valued by her French colleagues and community there. And I think it's super important when you're showing up and you're trying and you're putting a smile on every day and in Emily's case, a fabulous designer-based outfit, <laughs> like to whatever critique you could give, she shows up every day. And that episode at the end, when all of a sudden she sees that she is valuable to the people for whom she's been working so hard with and to be accepted by, it really hit me, right? I really, I really let myself feel the good feelings into that last scene. said the first seven years you didn't have friends in the, the cognac area. Uh, it took you a while to find a distiller, start your business, talk to people. But now that's something that's completely different because your business is, I mean, you're just out there and all over. Yeah, it's lovely. Especially you've stood with me at some of these shows when I've been presenting. And it's, it's really humbling when you know, truly French people will come over and say, thank you so much for making this. Like, I'm trying not to feel like an imposter, right? I came as an American and I have some French blood, so I try and lean on that a little bit. But, you know, I came in as an American to make a purely organic French, 100% French product. And I'm out there in the world promoting French whiskey and promoting French culture and promoting French terroir, whether or not the French can appreciate that or care, right? The fact of the matter is for 10 years, I have been shouting at every opportunity, the values and the beauty that French whiskey and the French culture can create in the spirits industry. So specifically in whiskey. So when the French come over and say, thank you, it hits me so deeply and it really fills my cup. I'm like going to cry. We talked about the amount of time you were in cognac making whiskey. And that's something that was kind of new to France when you first started. Did you have someone to look to or just kind of model after when you first started? 
Yeah, I became you know friendly with Jean Denet, or he had a distillery over in Brittany for a long time, and he had such strong reverence for whiskey Breton with the guys at Warren Gam and there's a few others, but I was about the fourth or fifth person in France making whiskey. There are now over, I think, 120 distilleries registered and or laying down whiskey. So I was really one of the first five, which is a big honor. For sure, the first millennial and for sure, the first woman. Where's your base audience, would you say? Would you say more America, more France? Yeah, we're sold in 22 or 23 countries around the world right now, which is mind-blowing to me. And I think a very cool experience to see internationally how, right, like in in America and in France, those are our two biggest markets, 80%, or maybe 70% of our volume is done in the States. And then the second majority is in France. And then the rest of it is the rest of the world. So I play often in the, I'm an American making a 100% French whiskey and speak to those points in our two largest markets, the US and France. What's interesting to me is when you take it anywhere else, right? You go to Africa, you go to Asia, like no one knows who I am and I'm not part of the story. And I, I love that, right? The whiskey gets to stand on its own. France carries it. It's a French whiskey. It is a French whiskey when it's out there and I'm not a relevant figure in it. And it's very cool. And I think it just makes me very proud and very honored to be have this product so associated with the French because it is French. Why whiskey in cognac instead of cognac in cognac? Oh, because I love whiskey. And Grey Goose Vodka came from cognac. There's some really cool things that come from cognac. Plantation rum is bottled there. Like there's some really big, incredible, important spirits that come from the cognac region whether or not they are loud about that. But a lot of the really well-loved and known French spirits come from the Cognac region. Well, you are just giving us all the information. All right, do you hear that? Wine school dropouts. (laughs) Those things come from Cognac. Your whiskey. It's called Bren Whiskey, B-R-E-N-N-E. Americans love to say Brené, but anyone who at least has some comprehension on the French language knows that if there's not an accent over that E, that last E, like in rosé, you don't get the A sound. The Bren whiskey, there's no E in the spelling of our whiskey because most American and Irish whiskeys spell with an E. And even though I'm an American founder, I again wanted to respect where this whiskey is from. So I spell it, I spell whiskey without an E. So if you're finding us on Instagram or social media or something, B-R-E-N-N-E-W-H-I-S-K-Y. When you drink it, how do you take it? Oh, all the ways. Neat, rocks, cocktails. I love it with some Perrier and a highball. I think French water, French whiskey, c'est parfait. I like it in Manhattans. I call it a Brenhattan. And I like an old-fashioned with it, which we call a nouveau fashion, because, come on. I love it. <laughs> Would you consider it a digestif? Is whiskey a digestive? Like, I know we say that about other kind of after dinner or I'll even just say brown liquor spirits. I do. I do. But I also think it's a great aperitif because I think the tasting, the notes, right? Like Bren tastes like creme brulee, blueberry muffin tops and bananas foster. That is such a delicious, approachable flavor. And it's the lowest ABV 
a whiskey can be to still be called a whiskey. So it's a 40% ABV. So to me, I think it's a beautiful way to start the evening. It kind of gets you, it wakes up your palate. The flavors are not like a peated Islay scotch, which will coat your palate and then thus not allow you to taste your food really after in its purity. Bren stays, you can taste it a little bit, but it dissipates on the palate pretty quickly. And I did that intentionally because I want to be able to drink it with food. I want to be able to drink it with cheese and like have it complement, but not overpower. So I really like to start my meals with a cocktail of Bren. And then usually at the end, I'll do a neat. But at that point, then I probably go up to Bren 10 because I like a higher proof whiskey. And I think it cuts through maybe the cheese or dessert, or just if I'm not even eating with it, it just cuts through the food that's on your palate. And it's really clean. Do you have a favorite like little snack or something that you make to pair with it? Everything. I like Bren 10 with escargot. It cuts through those, that butter. I mean, I like a steak cask with a burger. I love, we cook with it here in our house. We'll make a au poivre sauce instead of cognac. We'll use Bren a steak cask. I love it, of course, with the classics, with cheese and charcuterie and, and things like that. But I've really, even the, a steak cask is so interesting that when you add a little bit of the acidity of a highball, then it really starts to go elegantly with fish, right? Like it's a really fun whiskey to play with gastronomically. I think that's the right word. It is. And now I'm thinking like, man, I want to pour myself a glass, <laughs> right? Like just a little, mm-hmm. <laughs> just a little bit. Well, Allison, thank you so much. If someone wants to find out more information about you or uh, Bryn Whiskey, where should we go? Please join me on Instagram, Allison Park, P-A-R-C. So A-L-L-I-S-O-N-P-A-R-C on Instagram. I'm very active there and also on LinkedIn. Same, Allison Park, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-P-A-R-C. Thank you so much. Thank you for talking to us about Emily, Paris, Cognac, the region, whiskey in France, and everybody go buy yourself some brand whiskey. This season, I told you it would be different. I wanted to showcase French culture, but how it's seen and experienced by Americans. I've always found it so interesting how people can have such different experiences in the same place, being Paris, or France for that matter. But it depends on how long they've lived here, how well they speak French, and kind of if they have a French partner or a good French friend. While you normally end a meal with a digestif, and that would also be a perfect ending to this season, we have a bit more to say, or actually, I have a bit more to say. For everyone that loves Paris, has visited before, wants to visit, or even lives here, stay tuned for our next and final episode of this season four for a very cool day in the city. Thank you for listening to Wine School Dropout. This podcast was produced by Studio Ochinta and hosted by me, Tanisha Townsend. Our executive producer is Lori Martinez, sound design and production by Luis Lopez and Kiara Santella. Production coordination by Catalina Hoyos. Our theme was done by Gabrielle Damaso. Music is by Makai Beats. Our art is by Tiffany DeLune. 
follow us at Wine School Dropout on Instagram. If you'd like the show, tell a friend about it and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, sit back, relax, and have a glass. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.